Hello and welcome to the Spoke to Be podcast, episode 49. We're getting into the thick of things in the offseason here. We just wrapped up the 2019 NHL entry draft up in Vancouver this past weekend. Get right into a little recap for the Bruins. Uh, they had five selections this draft. They had a first round pick. They had a third round pick, a fifth round, a sixth, and a seventh. Uh, their second round pick went to the Devils as part of the Marcus Johansson trade. The fourth round pick was actually from um, a trade last season when the Bruins acquired Tommy Wingles from Chicago. They gave uh, away a 2019 fourth round pick. So five picks in total. Uh, first round was number 30 overall. The Bruins selected center John Beecher, six foot three, two hundred ten pounds, uh, USA kid from New York. Played on the national development team program this past season. Now there was a lot of um, debate around this pick. Uh, people saying that this is another example of the Bruins not uh, making a, an effort to take a potential high-risk, high-reward player. Um, Beecher's more of sort of a safe type of bet. Um, There were players on the board that draft experts, you know, people who watch these kids play all year, um, thought could, you know, be more uh, better better goal scorers than Beecher can be in the NHL. But for one reason or another, they slid down the board a bit. Um, now look, I am no draft expert at all. I knew two prospects coming into this, uh, draft, Jack Hughes, who went number one overall to New Jersey and Capo Caco, who went number two overall to the Rangers. Those were the only two I knew, the only two who I had seen play this season. So I don't really know much about any of these kids. I just go off of what other people say and what I read about them. Um, but I will just say this, people who... Um, when like the, the grades come out for how a team drafts, especially when it comes to a, a sport like hockey, where you're not, your first round pick isn't most likely, unless it's a top three or so pick, your first round pick most likely is not going to play for you for at least one, if not two or three years. So to, to grade a draft class immediately after the draft with just having no idea how these players will turn out is a little ridiculous. And I mean, who's to say what, what if this kid turns into the next great Bruins center, right? I mean, did anyone ever think Patrice Bergeron in the second round, number 52 or whatever was going to be one of the best players in Bruins history? Did anyone think David Krejci was going to turn into what he turned into or Brad Marchand, a, a third round pick? I mean, you just don't know. Even David Pasternak slipped to number 24, 25 uh, the year he got drafted. So it's just, it's impossible to tell what these kids are going to turn into. And now look, I get the whole, well, the Bruins have made some draft mistakes in the past. Yeah, you know what? They have, okay? You want to go back to 2015, talk about the three first round picks in a row that they had, and only one of those so far has been a success. All right, sure. You can talk about that. 2016, when the Bruins had two first round picks, one was a home run, Charlie McAvoy, the other Trent Frederick, who knows? They they could have t- taken Alex Dabrinkit with that 
second first round pick. They didn't. He scored 40 goals this season and Frederick had zero points in 15 games. But you know what? Maybe Frederick turns into a really good third line center for the Bruins down the road. Who knows? Maybe he develops an offensive game and turns into a second line center. Um, You know, maybe a guy like Zach Seneshin, who was the third of their first round picks that year, they had three in a row. Um, Maybe he, in a year or two, proves that he can be a a top six or at least a top nine winger and he he starts to make some people who called him a bust when he was 20 years old look bad so it's just the draft I mean when you get to a certain point in the draft probably right around picks 22 23 it really does just kind of become a crapshoot I mean you you pick a player that you think has some skill and that you can develop and might be a um, a positional need in your organization, which center is, it may not seem like a need right now. Going into next year, the Bruins seem to have really good center depth between Bergeron, Krejci, Coyle, Corrali. But let's be honest, Bergeron's got three years left on his deal. He's going to be 34 this summer. Krejci's got two years left on his two years left on his deal. He's going to be 33. Coyle has a year left on his deal. Corrali's got a couple years left, and now I know Coyle and Corrali are younger. But the center position could certainly see some turnover over the next few seasons. So never too early to start planning for that. Um, you know, kind of like quarterback in football. You'd rather be a year early than a year late. And certainly the same thing can be said for the Bruins when it comes to their center spot. They've got pretty good depth um, and pretty good players on defense. They've got some good depth in their organization at the wings. Um Maybe they're lacking a little bit at center. Now, saying that, they've got their top young prospect, Jack Stanika, who is a center. Um, he will uh, make a push for a full-time spot with the Bruins this upcoming season. I've already mentioned Frederick, who the Bruins like. They just know that he needs a little more time to develop. And now you add Beecher to that group. Who knows, maybe in five years, those three are your top three centers or something. So just... I mean, let's just sort of see how it all pans out. People didn't like Beecher because, or people thought it was a bit of a reach. Um, Not a reach. That's not the right word. They would have, given how the board shook out and how some players who had some elite offensive capabilities started to slide in the draft, they would have, and were wingers, they would have maybe liked to see the Bruins go after those guys. With Beecher, the the knocks on him are that he may not um, produce enough offensively and may not be a power play sort of guy to justify the the first round pick. Now, look, he's already 6'3", 210 pounds. If there's one thing you can't teach, it's size, and he's already got it, which is a definitely a plus. Do you worry a little that maybe the Bruins are, are looking too much into their recent uh, Stanley Cup battle with the Blues and how the Blues sort of I guess, wore them down over the course of seven games, and they were the bigger team, they were the more physical team, and so does it cross your mind that maybe the Bruins have that in the back of their minds when making these selections and thinking, all right, we got to get back to sort of that big, bad Bruins style of play? Maybe, but I think more than anything, Beecher just sort of, he fit a positional need. He, you know, you'll take a player with good size any day of the week. He's got great speed. And there are some offensive skills there. I mean, look, he was buried on the depth chart um, with the national 
development team because Jack Hughes was a center, and so obviously he was top of the line there. Then they had a second-line center who I believe went fifth overall, Trevor Zegres, I believe is his name, something like that. Um, And so Beecher played a a third-line role for that team. Maybe on a different team, different year, he's more of a second-line guy. Um, You know, so he didn't really get the power play opportunities that he might have on a different team. Um, Look, he's going to Michigan next season. So they, they... think that he's going to have a top six role there as a freshman, which will be a pretty big deal. So we'll see how he kind of develops there. He'll be at the Bruins development camp this week. Um, And yeah, you just kind of watch and see how everything unfolds. It's just, it's crazy though, to make predictions about these kids and say, oh, the Bruins should have taken this guy or that guy. I mean, what if those wingers that people thought the Bruins should have taken, what if they just kind of flame out and they don't really do much in the NHL in a couple years? and Beecher's got a 10, 15-year career ahead of him. It's just, you don't know right now. And maybe that's a bit of a cop-out or something, but look, I'm perfectly fine with this pick. Um, Again, it's tough when you don't really know much about any of the prospects, so you can't really compare them, but all things considered, like his size, like his speed, like that he's a center, um, I think is a good selection for the Bruins. So I'm perfectly okay with their first-round pick. The rest of the draft, as I said, no second round pick for them. So their next pick was 92nd overall. Quinn Nelson, a 5'11 winger um, who is playing for Minnesota Duluth, was their third round pick. Then their final three picks, they took a defenseman from Russia, which is a very rare thing for the Bruins to do. They usually do not take Russian players. I can't think of the last one. Uh, might be this guy, Pavel Shen, who they have in their system. Um, but that was like four years ago, I think. The big one that I remember is Alexander Koklachev. I think he was a second-round pick back in 2010, 2011 maybe, and he didn't really do much. I think he's back in the KHL now. So they usually stay away from Russian kids, but they took a 5'11 Russian defenseman, uh, Roman Bichkov, um, with their fifth-round pick. In the sixth round, they took a... Center from Finland, uh, Matthias Mantakivi. And in the seventh round, a forward playing with the Chicago Steel in the USHL, six foot one, Jake Schmaltz. He actually has a couple cousins, I believe, who are in the NHL uh, now. But so overall, five picks for the Bruins, headlined, of course, by their first rounder, Beecher. Um, I think all of the players, except for the Russian Beachkov are going to be at the development camp this week. So it'll be good to see those guys. It'll be good to see guys from last year's draft class. Um, Jacob Lauko being the big one. He should be playing in North America this year, uh, most likely with Providence to start, but certainly wouldn't shock me at some point this season if he got a look with the big, uh, the big boy club. I'm trying to think of other players, you know, if you're pretty much, if you're, in the AHL at this point, you don't really attend development camp. So their their number one pick from last season, which came in the second round, uh, Axel Anderson, a, a mobile puck-moving defenseman. He should be back um, at development camp. And so it'll be good to see all of them and check in with how they're doing. It'll be good for the this year's draft class to get to Boston, um, You know, get around the, the environment, the coaching staff, and... Go from there. So, 
you know, we'll kind of move on from the draft and we will get into a little free agency preview, which is coming up. We are in the midst of the, um, I forget what they call it, talking period, I guess, for free agents. Unrestricted free agents can start speaking to other teams. Um, that started on Sunday. So any team can talk to any player now. Um, restricted free agents, I believe, will begin uh, being able to talk to other teams on Wednesday. So another day for them. But we'll just kind of get right into it with the Bruins. Um, let's start with the salary cap. So classic NHL, uh, they decided to not announce what next year's salary cap would be until after the draft, um, which certainly threw some teams for a loop, A, because they just didn't know what the number was going to be, and B, because it ended up being lower than what was initially projected. Um, all reports said that the cap would be at $83 million for this season, and it is now officially set at $81.5 million. So a $2 million increase, I believe, from last season. Um, so if you're a team tight against the cap or you've got some big you know, free agents that you got to sign like the Bruins do, it's obviously not great that $1.5 million reduction. Um, still, the Bruins have, I think, about $12.5 million to get um, mainly their three restricted free agents signed. So, of course, that group is headlined by Charlie McAvoy. They've also got Brandon Carlo and uh, Danton Heinen are the three restricted um, free agents for the Bruins this year. Um, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, uh, how these negotiations shake out. Um, Heinen should probably be the easiest. He's probably looking at a two, three year deal worth two, maybe two and a half million dollars, um, annually. Carlo, uh, I, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know if Carlo's looking for more of a bridge deal, a four-year type deal, or if he's looking for a longer, you know, max eight-year deal. Um, I could certainly see him. He seems like the kind of guy that wants security, wants to know that this is sort of his long-term future, which, I mean, I, no matter which direction they go, I think he'll certainly be here a long time. But So he strikes me as someone who would look for an eight-year deal. I could see that coming in at four, four and a half million dollars. Um you know, potentially a an eight-year, $32 million deal or something, I think would be appealing to both sides. Um, you know, for Carlo, you get that long-term security and you get that nice pay increase right away. And for the Bruins, you lock in a, a top four right shot, big mobile defender for the next eight years at a very reasonable price. If you just kind of project out the next few years, Carlo could be on a massive steal of a contract um, by the time he gets to, you know, year three, four, five. So I could see something like that happening with him. The trickiest one's going to be McAvoy. Um, and it, for a couple reasons. One is just that he has no leverage in these situations. Um, he's not el eligible for arbitration. He's not eligible uh, for an offer sheet. The only team pretty much that he can play for next season not pretty much. The only team he can play for next season is the Boston Bruins. Um, or the only other option he would have would be to to sit out. Very similar to the situation this past season with Toronto and William Nylander. 
Um, he was in the same sort of boat. No one could offer sheet him. So he either had to accept a deal with Toronto or sit out. And he chose to sit out for quite a while. Finally, they came to an agreement on a deal in December. Um, and so that's sort of the boat McAvoy's in. I don't expect him to hold out or anything. You know, you look at the comments he made after the season ended, how much he clearly enjoys being in Boston, playing for the Bruins. Um, it's just going to be a matter of length and cap hit, as it is, I mean, for every player, but McAvoy specifically. He could certainly get an eight-year deal if he wants, um, and I would imagine that he's going to get close to that, seven, eight years, I think. Um, but... At the, at the same time, does he maybe consider uh, a bridge deal, which maybe brings him closer to unrestricted free agency, um, you know, and the possibility of getting one or two more big contracts after that? I think you have to, um, you know, definitely think about that with him. Right now, uh, evolving... Hockey does a website. They have a uh, they have a very good contract projection sheet where they project contracts for all unrestricted and restricted free agents. And right now they've got McAvoy um, projected for a six year, seven point one million dollar uh, average annual value contract. So that would come out to roughly six years, forty two million. And, I mean, I, th- I certainly think that makes some sense. I think if you're the Bruins, you would love to maybe try and get McAvoy under $7 million a year. Um, and maybe you use Bergeron as an example and how no player since Bergeron signed his contract has made more than Bergeron yearly. Um, I know Krejci and Rask make more than Bergeron, but they signed their contracts before Bergeron did. So maybe you can, you know, go to him and say, look, Marshawn took less money. Pasternak took less money. Um, they're all in the six range. That's where we want you to be. Maybe he bites on that. Maybe if you up the offer to eight years and you say, okay, we'll do eight years at 50 million, that's six and a half or six and a quarter a year. So maybe you could get him something like that. You know, I mean, the Bruins have a little bargaining power. McAvoy has yet to play a full NHL season. You know, he's had some injuries derail him uh, each of the last couple seasons. So maybe you use that to your advantage. Um, He hasn't exactly put up huge numbers or anything. I mean, they've certainly been very solid and respectable for a 19 and 20 year old defenseman um, that he's been the past couple seasons. So that can kind of go both ways. I mean, on his side, he's looking at it saying, you know, he's playing on the top pairing. He's playing against the best players every night. He's logging over 20 minutes. He plays power play, penalty kill. He pretty much does it all. He is, if not already, then going to be very shortly the number one defenseman for the Bruins in the future. So he's certainly well within his rights task for $7 million or so. So it'll just come down to who kind of wins out there. Um, but if you just take some nice round numbers with the three restricted free agents and you take McAvoy at 7 million, Carlo at 4 million and Heinen at 2 million. It's 13 million dollars right there and the Bruins have um roughly 12 and a half million dollars in cap space with this 81 and a half million dollar cap. So 
there's certainly um, some maneuvering that the Bruins are going to have to do one way or another, whether it's getting um, uh, getting these guys signed for lower average annual values, or that you know if they have to move um, some guys from the current roster that also has to be considered as well um, because right now one way or another the only thing that the Bruins um, can do in free agency is just really sign their own free agents restricted free agents I should say which is a shame because there are some some quality players on the free agent market that could really help this team especially at the wing position um Let's just, we'll quickly sort of note the unrestricted free agents for the Bruins. There's three of them. The biggest one's Marcus Johansson. With the playoffs that he had, he has set himself up nicely for a nice little pay increase. Um, He could be looking at, I mean, he's only 28 years old, so he could be looking at a five-year, $25 million deal right around there, um, which right now would just be too rich for the Bruins, so... Um, as of now, it looks like he'll be moving on. I know there were reports that, uh, Sweeney, Don Sweeney and Johansson's agent were going to meet, uh, over draft weekend and kind of get a ballpark idea of where each side stands on the contract, uh, negotiations and kind of go from there. But as of now, the Bruins just don't have the the cap space to sign him. Now you, you can go over the cap during the off season. I think you can be like, 10% 10% over it or something like that. So that obviously gives the Bruins more room, but come, you know, end of September, early October, you obviously have to be at or below that 81 and a half million. Um, and you also want to leave yourself a little wiggle room for in-season moves that you might make as well. So there is certainly still some more moves to come for the Bruins. Um, I would love Johansson to come back. I think he clicked really well with Coyle. Um, and I really would like to see those two do their thing for a full season. I think that could be a very uh, talented and skilled third line. Unfortunately, it just seems like right now that may not be possible. Uh, the Bruins also have Nolachari and Stephen Kampfer as free agents. Um, neither of them would cost a whole lot. Achari's definitely going to get a little increase. He was only making... Seven hundred fifty thousand last year, I think. So he'll be probably looking at a one to two million dollar deal annually for probably a couple seasons. That might be a little rich for the Bruins, especially. I mean, I love Achari. He he hits like no one else. He plays the game clean and hard and tough. Um, but at the end of the day, he's a player with limited offensive skill, a fourth line guy. I think the Bruins have enough of that. You know, Corrales coming back, Nordstrom's back, Wagner's back. They've got Carson Kuhlman, who I think could be a very intriguing fit on a line with Corrali. So I think they've got the depth there that they can let Achari go. Um, same thing on the back end. Stephen Kampfer was, he did his job well this season, um, but he's 30 years old or so. And so he, you know, probably wants to look for a, a situation where he'll play regular minutes um, for a team. So, as it stands, I don't see any of the Bruins' unrestricted free agents coming back. Of course, if they're able to open up some cap space, then I would definitely think that they'll make every effort to bring back Johansson. Um, As for some external free agents and who else is out there that could help them, 
it is, like I said, it's a shame that they don't have some extra cap room because Joe Pavelski, the captain of the San Jose Sharks, is a free agent, and it looks like he very well could not be returning to San Jose. Um, So that is someone that I think the Bruins would really benefit from, sort of like a Jerome McGinley-type player. Now, the Bruins only signed McGinley to a one-year deal, but he produced really well playing with Krejci and Milan Lucic back in uh, 2000. What was that? That was the 13-14 season. So Pavelski is definitely looking for probably, I think he's looking for a three-year deal, which is why the Sharks are hesitant with him. They probably only want to give him two. He wants three. He's probably looking for six, six and a half million a year, um, which, I mean, he's well within his rights. He's consistently put up goals. Um, he's a big game player. He's a leader. He kind of does it all for that Sharks team. He would be awesome on the Bruins' top six. I would love to see him playing with Bergeron and Marshawn, um, almost like a Mark Recchi type, but way more skilled, scores more goals. Um, I mean, he had, I looked up, his uh, five-on-five statistics this season. He had 21 five-on-five goals this year, which I believe would have led all Bruins skaters um, in five-on-five goals. He he draws penalties. He plays on the power play. He'll kill penalties. Um, he's a big-time leader, and it is really unfortunate that David Backus's $6 million is eating up that potential space where the Bruins could go out and at least try and make a run at Pavelski because he really could be what this team needs in their top six for a few years. I would have no problem giving him a three-year deal. I know he's 35, but I think he is still one of the best players in the league. He can score with the best of them. Um, and his playoff numbers are insane. I think over since 2010 or something, only two players have scored more playoff goals than him, and I believe it's Crosby and his teammate, Logan Couture. And then it's Joe Pavelski. I think he's ahead of Ovechkin. Um, he's ahead of Kane, guys that have you know been in the playoffs a lot over these past eight or nine years. Um, so I would really, really like to see Pavelski as a Bruin, but they just don't have the space right now. And it's unfortunate because he's a right shot. He can play on the wing. Yeah, he can help you down the middle, but I think he'd be a great right-wing addition to, I mean, either of the top two lines, but I would really like to see him play on that top line with Bergeron and Marchand. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like they'll have the space unless they make a couple moves. So um, that stinks. Other free agents that the Bruins might look at, I'm uh, becoming more and more of a Corey Perry fan and think the Bruins should give him a look. Um, I know he's coming off a down year. I know he's getting up there in age. Um, he's had some injuries, but I mean, this is a guy that scored 50 goals not too long ago. Um, I think he can still play. It doesn't necessarily need to be in a top six role. I think he would look, um, great on a third line with Charlie Coyle and Danton Heinen. I think that would be a really strong third line. Um, you know, I mean, Perry can still score. I'll say what you want. He five on five last season, he only played 31 games. He scored four goals, which may not seem like a lot, but when I looked at the rest of Anaheim's players, I think the person who had their most five-on-five goals last season played in every game, and I think it was only like 10 goals. So, I mean, Perry's four goals in 31 games is actually not a bad output. 
he also drew a ton of penalties given the lack of um, game time that he got. So his legs are still there. He's been, you know, all reports say he's been training really hard this summer. He's super motivated to, you know, come back and make a statement, um, show that he can still play in this league, still score goals in this league. He's a big guy. He's like 6'4", 215. Um, he's a tough guy to play against. I mean, he's nasty at times. I think he would fit in really well in Boston. Um, and there's an interesting thing with him where Pierre Lebrun, one of the big uh, insiders in the NHL world, he said that because of the amount of time that Perry missed this last season, um, he would be eligible for a contract where you could give him a low um, a low base salary, which is what affects the salary cap, but then you could jack up his like performance bonuses and those don't affect the cap. So you could give him a, a one-year, $1.5 million deal when in reality it'd be more like a one-year, $6 million deal if you add up all the incentives and if he were to reach them. But those incentives don't um, impact the cap. It would just be that base salary of one, one and a half million. So, I mean, for a cheap option for a guy who has scored 50 goals in the NHL before and who has something to prove, I think that would be a very intriguing fit for the Bruins. Um, other free agents, old friend Brett Connolly is a free agent, um, had a few good years in Washington. I think once people realized that Brett Connolly was more of a third-line guy, that's where he really excelled. I mean, he scored 21 5-on-5 goals this season as well. Um, I think it was third, second most on the Capitals. I believe only Ovechkin had more. Um, so, I mean, he, he's a good player. You know, is he going to play in your top six? Eh, the Bruins have kind of tried that before with him. You know, they had him play with Bergeron and Marchand for a long time, and it never really seemed to click, but who knows? Maybe a few years have gone by. He's gotten better. Maybe that would work now. Um, if not, I'd have no problem sticking him on a third line with Charlie Coyle. That would be a nice big line. Connolly goes 6-3. I think Coyle 6-3. So I could definitely see those two working well together. Um, Jonas Donskoy, also from San Jose. He's another right shot winger um, that the Bruins might look into. Definitely a third-line guy, but definitely someone who can impact your top nine, um, put up some points, um, You know, maybe play on a second power play unit, maybe kill some penalties, sort of do what a typical third-liner kind of does. Um, so I think he would be of interest to the Bruins. And finally, um, I think Magnus Pularvi from Edmonton, former fourth overall pick not too long ago, 2016. He wants out of Edmonton. Uh, he hasn't played well or played a lot in Edmonton over the past few seasons. He's looking for a fresh start somewhere. He's a restricted free agent, so you'd most likely probably trade for him. Um, the Oilers have already said that they're not giving him away for free. Um, now, it would be interesting if you offer, if you gave him an offer sheet for a million and a half, two million dollars, uh, I think that would just require a, depending on what the exact amount is, potentially just like a, a third round pick so maybe that's a little too high for him um but then again the Bruins traded a third round pick for Zach Ronaldo not too long ago so if they would do that then you know I don't see why they wouldn't give up a third round pick for a a former fourth overall draft pick who is still just 21 years old he's six foot four um he's got great speed 
is he ever going to turn into what people projected him to be? I don't know, maybe, but that's sort of the risk you take. Who knows? Maybe he does, and he becomes a 20, 30-goal scorer in the NHL, and you got him for peanuts. Um, so I think he would uh, be an interesting decision for the Bruins, one of those sort of buy-low, um, no-harm type of deals. If he doesn't work out, you let him go next season or something. And if he does work out, then maybe you just found yourself a an impact big body, right shot winger uh, who can play in your top nine or maybe even your top six for the next few years. So those are the five kind of free agents that I have kind of circled in on for the Bruins. I don't know. It I don't know. It seems a little, I mean, just because of the situation that they're in right now with the salary cap, and it seems like they're a little reluctant to move David Backus. I mean, um, Patrick Marlowe from Toronto just got traded this past weekend to Carolina. He had a $6.25 million cap hit for next season only. That was the last season his deal, and Toronto had to give up a first-round pick just to move that entire contract. So would you give up next year's first-round pick for David Backus to move that entire contract? I mean, I don't even think that would do it all because since he has two years left for $6 million, you'd probably have to give up a first-round pick and a decent prospect as well, um, along with, obviously, Bacchus. So it seems like more and more that Bacchus is going to be a part of the Bruins team one way or another next year. Now, maybe they do try to send him to uh, Providence, which would save them about one, one and a half million dollars on the salary cap. Um, but that's a tough issue, too. I mean, you know, sending a, a proud veteran guy like Bacchus down to Providence, I don't know, that's tough. Um so, unfortunately, due to the lack of cap space, it does not seem like the Bruins will be very active in free agency. Of course, that can all change. A trade here, a trade there. You know, all of a sudden, some things open up, and maybe you can get a player or two. Um, they're probably more involved in the trade market, would be my guess, looking for some wingers. Um, I'll just rattle off a few right away um, that I've kind of looked into. Alex Tuck um, out in Vegas. He's got. He's only twenty three years old. He's six four. He signed for seven more seasons at only four point seven five million, um, which is a really good deal. Now, Vegas is looking to maybe move some some players, shed some cap space. Maybe they would look to move a guy like Tuck. It'd be hard. You know, I don't. I don't know if I see it, especially given his his age and the fact that he is signed for seven more years at a very reasonable um, number. Uh, Tyler Toffoli out in L.A., he's got one year left on his deal, $4.6 million. Um, he had a bit of a down year, but he's someone who the Bruins have had interest in in the past. Maybe they look to, to swing a deal with L.A. here this summer. The player that I think would be awesome for the Bruins, someone who would really impact that top six, um, but you, it would have to be, you'd have to make a legit hockey trade um, would be Victor Arvidsson from Nashville. This dude scored his five on five stats this season. He scored 25 goals in only 58 games. I mean, that is an absurd number. Um, he is someone who would just look so good uh, playing with Bergeron and Marchand you want to talk about the best line in the league, that would be the best line in the league. Arvidsson is a very good defensive player as well. 
Marshawn and Arvidsson on the wings, he's kind of, he's got a little Marshawn in him. You know, he's a little, not not dirty, but he uh, he likes to get under people's skin. He's a smaller player, but man, is he extremely talented. He would be such a good addition to this team. He's got, he signed for five more seasons at only 4.25 million um, average annual value. So if the Bruins could ever get him out of Nashville, you know, I, I don't know if Nashville, they just moved P.K. Subban over the weekend. to So that cleared $9 million in cap space. They're probably going to use all of that up if they get Matt Duchesne, which it's rumored they are the favorites at this point. So who knows, maybe they are still looking to move a little space um, or move some, move some money around. Arvidsson would just be such a good player for the Bruins. It's very unlikely, but man, oh man, would he be... Um, a great Bruin. And then two other guys, Brian Rust in Pittsburgh. I really like his game. Is he a top six player? I'm not sure about that, but he would be a really good third line player, a line of Heinen, Coyle, and Rust. Now that could be your new shutdown line. Um, Rust is a very good penalty killer with Pittsburgh. He plays in all the biggest situations. He's usually out there um, end game, six on five or five V six empty net situations. He's out there. He puts the puck in the back of the net. Um, I just, I like his game a lot. And then the big one who is sort of your prototypical Bruin, big, bad, but skilled, you know, physical type of player, Josh Anderson from Columbus. He's like 6'3", 220. Um, he's only 25 years old. He signed for one more season at 1.85 million. He'll be a restricted free agent next season. Um, He is the sort of player, he scored 25-on-5 goals this season, played in every game. Um, He's the sort of player that David Krejci thrives with. If you're looking for a true winger to put on Krejci's line, a la Nathan Horton back in 2011, Josh Anderson is that guy. Um, He is big, he's strong, he's physical, he's fast, he's skilled. Um, You know, he can play against the other team's best players he'll go up against their defenders he'll run them over he'll skate by them he does a bunch of things I mean he caused the Bruins a lot of problems in the playoffs I don't think he had a point in the series against the Bruins but he was all over the place um he was a constant factor in that series if you really want to watch him at his best look at that first round series against Tampa I mean he scared the life out of some of those Tampa defenders when he would get in on the forecheck and use his speed, cycle the puck, come out high, get the puck, shot on goal, crash the net, all that sort of stuff is what Josh Anderson brings. So if they are looking for a big splash, a new-aged sort of Nathan Horton, then I don't think there's a better player out there than Josh Anderson. Again, some of the, you know, all these players really, you'd have to give up some some good things as well. Um, you're not just going to get these guys for for cheap. You know, you're not going to get them for a mid round draft pick or anything. You'd have to make actual hockey trades, whether that means you know looking to move Tory Krug, um, looking to move a, a first or second round pick next season, whatever it may be. Um, you'd have to give up some stuff to get these guys. But those are all right shot right wingers who. Um, I think would make a big impact in Boston. So that will kind of wrap up this episode. Um, you know, recapped the draft a little, took a look at some free agency and some possible trade targets for the Bruins, um, what they're going to do with their own free agents, if there's anyone else they can go after. So the next time this podcast comes out, uh, 
next Monday, a week from today is July, a week from today that I'm recording um, is July 1st. And so that's obviously the big day when pretty much almost every big name free agent signs on July 1st. I mean, they're putting together contracts now for guys, you know, this week during the negotiation week. And so come July 1st, it's just going to be about officially announcing them, putting pen to paper. Um, So with that being said, sometimes, you know, some more deals trickle in over the next few days. If you remember the the Tyler Sagan trade uh, back in 2013 came on July 4th. So sort of that week is when, you know, the the big majority of the offseason stuff happens. And then after that, more or less, teams just kind of shut it down for a couple months. Um, you know, they've gone through the draft, they've gone through free agency and trades and all that. They like where they're at, and they tend to just sort of let things settle until training camp starts up in mid-September. So the plan is to um, record again two weeks from today. So next episode will be out July 9th, I believe. Um, so we'll let next week kind of we'll let it all play out. And then we'll recap everything that's happened over the past few weeks um, on our episode in two weeks, which will be episode number 50. So we will talk to you then. We'll get free. We'll get through free agency. We'll review it all. And that'll be that. So see you in a few weeks, couple weeks. Thank you, dear. Bring your sister over here. Let her dance with me just for the hell of it. <laughs>